4 o'clock football frenzy is presented by Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans. Call him now at 702-577-2600. Thomas and Mac, you know, the basketball is back. 15th year, Adam. You've been around for most of those. 15th year of uh, some former fashion, Cofield and Company, uh, DC and the Sunshine Man, doing live shows before the games out here at the TNM tonight, opener, 7 o'clock, as Gardner Webb is in town to take on a, a new group of run rebels led by some of the holdovers, Marvin Coleman and one Bryce Hamilton. Tip is at 7 o'clock. Running Rebel warm up goes at 6 30 with John and Robert. It's actually a big day of UNLV content on the station. We'll go off a tad early as uh, we also have the Marcus Arroyo radio show tonight. That'll start at 5.30, actually from here at the Thomas and Mac with uh, Russ and Caleb. And Caleb's coming up to talk to us in about 15 minutes. So a whole rundown we got to get through. Well, I just I was actually just going to suggest we throw out the rundown because I, I see these things on Twitter all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm just like... Back to normal on Cofield and Company. The top five most stressed cities. Like, come on. What what? What are we doing? But I do want to scream about it for an hour. It's it's so silly. Is there a bad one? Not really, but it, like, what? who's measuring this? Yeah. It's just, are we saying, hey, you stressed? Yes. Okay, we're going to make you. Seattle's number one. Click. They're the most stressed city in the country. Like, okay, good for them. They have a lot of stress in Seattle. I think it's because the weather. Do you think we're stressed here? No. I don't think so either. No, I, not I think, at all. I think we're very chill. I think you, you have to go traffic. Yep. Like, there's a ton of traffic. And it's getting worse here, but it's nothing compared to most major cities. Well, like Boston's number three. I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Do you hear the people speak? Houston's they're, they're, number, they're just done edge Houston's on, number two. Uh, it's Houston's traffic, traffic everywhere. Yeah. It's, so it's, it's going to be all the hellish traffic centers. Dallas, New York, San Fran, no, L.A. Seattle, Houston, Boston, Philly, Washington. And, well, Philly. I mean. <laughs> Washington's the worst. Did you see they're so stressed out there that the play-by-play guy for the Eagles called in screaming at uh, one of the shows on WIP because he was all pissed off that they were bad-mouthing Jalen Hurts. Just listening, and he's like, I have to call. Like, bro, calm down. Did he use a fake voice? No, he can't. His okay. name is his Merrill Reese, and uh, no, he's got sure. he's got one of those voices you can't really fake. Did he come on? And he's like, I don't agree with you. <laughs> Perfect. Is that you, Merrill? Perfect. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's great. Okay, is your tangent done? Yeah, it's fine. I, I just uh, These surveys, they get me every time, but they're so dumb. What's with these surveys? <laughs> All right, let's get stressed. Or we can kind of go with what we've gone with the last couple of years. Not it's, doing this. I'm not doing it's, it. It's, it's, it's I, Okay, I'm going to try to have you remain calm. And it's funny, last week we had a guy named Wayne Cook who played quarterback at UCLA. And Wayne now does some stuff for Learfield. He does a podcast. He's also, I think he's a sideline guy for UCLA football. Um and we booked him, and he come, he's, like, ready to come on and bounce off the walls about the college football playoff. And my lead-in just completely disarmed him because I was like, it's a TV show. So as long as you think of that it's a TV show. Now, at the end of the TV show, like many of us do when shows end like crap, which, by the way, Squid Game, awesome final episode. I don't know what you're talking yeah, about. I haven't seen worst. you in weeks. And as I was watching it, I'm like, this guy's a moron. The final episode was, was okay. Um <laughs> I actually thought it was good. Visit your daughter. 
Don't spoil it. There's a lot of people who still haven't watched it. Actually, I'm just saying, I'm not giving details. Ke- I, I will tell you, last night on the Kruger show during a break, Kevin Kruger was asking about Squid Game, and I was like, I'm not going to tell you about anything past episode four. He's not there. Hold yet. on. He's not going to be able to watch. The season has started. He's not going to be able to watch till after the season. They have some downtime. They can chill. On the plane, I guess. Chill on the plane. You're watching yeah. video. Yeah, like You're an watching... hour ride to a lot of these games. It's film. It's perfect for the episode. Okay. <laughs> Go see your daughter, bro. So at the end of this, when the Final Four is decided, then get mad. Also, fly private. What are we doing? What do you mean? Squid Game. Fly. Oh, why? I don't. Okay. Well, I don't know why. What are you doing? He did, man. Ah! I almost. I almost gave something away. Damn it. That would have been bad. That would have been a spoiler. Anyway, uh, the rankings come out, and. Cincinnati still on the outside looking in. And they also seem to be a little bit inconsistent. Make a decision one way or the other. Um, I don't, unless it's an absolute romp, I don't care that much about head-to-head, but I know that drives people nuts. I know you love ignoring head-to-head because it's only one of what could be 100 meetings and what would happen in 100 meetings. But they're, they're not being consistent with the Ohio State, Oregon, Michigan, Michigan State thing. Right, Michigan is ahead of Michigan State. Michigan State just beat them. Oregon is ahead of Ohio State, I think, because Oregon beat Ohio State. Although, if you talk to odds makers in town, Ohio State now on a neutral against Oregon would be a two-touchdown favorite. Although the same goes for if Michigan and Michigan State played again, they would still set a number on a neutral with Michigan as a healthy favorite. I wouldn't be. So able do you to go by Vegas or do you head to head? What do you do? I wouldn't be able to cut out the honeycomb. What just happened? Oh, you're talking about a TV show. I'm going to talk about a TV show, too. Why are you questioning the TV show? Like, the, the, the TV yeah. show is the TV show. You're right. You're, you're bringing up all these, like, what, what, how do we judge? What's the best? I don't know. What's going to make people watch the show? That's how we judge. Yeah. That's what we do now. Georgia 1, Alabama 2, Oregon 3, Ohio State 4, Cincy 5, Michigan 6, Michigan State 7, Oklahoma 8. So that's where we are right now. And I still believe Cincinnati will find its way in because the teams in front of them will lose. At least three of the four will lose one more time. And we'll see the push by – they've set it up here. If Oklahoma gets through their three games, they're all good games, they're going to skyrocket up. So that's going to be some of the drama. And Michigan still controls its own destiny, as does Michigan State to a certain extent. So there's plenty of teams alive. So it sets up nicely. Good job on the TV show. You know, I mean, it, this is going to come across like I'm just being Michigan Homer guy, but it's not because you know that this is me going back 20 years. What I would want, and again, it's not just because it's Michigan, what I'd want is for them to come out and say, you know what? Michigan's number two. We have agreed with the officials who said they blew the game. They are number two. We're not going to count that as a loss. And again, I know it comes across as Michigan guy, but they have now admitted multiple errors, including taking a touchdown away that was earned by Michigan. So I'd want them to say, we're going to discount that the rest of that game and say Michigan won the game. That's what I would want. Like, that's what I want to see out of this. If you're going to have people deciding this, let's go. And, and that's really going to create some fun. How mad will people be then? But that is what you should do. If we're going to say, hey, Michigan won that game, but uh, we're not going to give them the credit for it. They just won it. Like, what is that? Let's go all in. And again, this is, I've been saying this for It would be kind of cool if the committee would just, 
just kind of go with what has really happened and what Sports Talk yeah. Radio thinks. Yeah, be great. Let's just let's just do and it. NFL at the end of the season. Yeah, the Steelers aren't making the playoffs. There was a hip check and a ridiculous taunting play, and uh, the Raiders finished just behind the Steelers. Steelers were handed that game against the Bears. Raiders are in. It's not the way it works, though. Well, I mean, we also don't. They may have benefited from that, though. Let's uh, let's continue on this because yeah. I want to talk to Caleb Herring about officials and inconsistency with calls. And, you know, the, the more I, I really hadn't watched the video carefully enough with Tony Carrenti and uh, Cassius Marsh and the Bears, and it was pointed out by many people, not only did the guy throw a taunting flag, he taunted the player that he was penalized. He taunted. Dustin DeHart of Nova Home Loans brings you the 4 o'clock football frenzy. Dial 702-577-2600 now. Home prices have never been higher and interest rates have never been lower. Get your mortgage tune-up today by calling 577-2600. I think what helps is our personalities really mesh well together. Um, Of course, we have to practice together and get to know each other, but off the court, we're all close. We hang out on the regular, eat food together, and I think that part... That aspect of um, our relationship is what really helps carry over onto the basketball court and is why we uh, mesh so well together. Now, back to Cofield and Company, live at the Thomas and Matt. Mike Nuga, one of the new players for the Rebels, well-traveled guy, Nigeria, Canada, then multiple stops, Juco, Kent State last year averaged 18 points a game, so we're excited to get a look at a lot of these new players who are playing under Coach Kruger, Kevin Kruger, is now running the UNLV program. I know Caleb Herring's fired up about basketball, fired up about football. UNLV football just got its first win of the season. We'll break down the uh, Rebel football program in a couple of minutes. But, Caleb, we were just talking about Tony Carrenti and the nonsense on Monday night and officiating and inconsistencies. Uh, Just on the taunting itself, uh, this has got a bit out of control in the National Football League, has it not? No, it absolutely has. I I think, you know, when you look at the spirit of the taunting, I think if it it, – if taunting, I guess, adds to hostility or, or you can say is leading to some sort of extracurricular activity, then, yes, I understand you, you want to try to nip it in the bud so it doesn't escalate to something else. But if taunting is happening or let's just not even call it taunting, if celebration and kind of showmanship and, um, you know, letting, letting your opponent know you did something good, it was a big, you made a big play, whatever the case may be, if, it do, if it's harmless, the other team's not taking it offensive, the other team's not reacting, things like that if it's not delaying the game i guess i'll say like if it's not interrupting the flow of the game there's no reason to penalize it i think people want to see the celebrations they want to see the fun they want to you earn the right to do that when you make a big play in the nfl i I don't see a problem with letting guys have a little bit more freedom in that regard i I, it didn't last year or when all the touchdown celebration happened i didn't see many people complaining right there's way bigger issues that need to be focused on getting right then letting officials have the subjective uh, ruling on the field that determines outcomes at the end of the day. Because it's, I mean, it, it's it's ridiculous not only to, to do it, but to put the pressure on refs to make those calls and to make them, you know, input their subjective opinions on the game in that way out there as the face of it. it it's just enough's enough. I, I, I like to see them officiate the rules of the game, not the attitudes and demeanors of the players. That's for somebody else to do. So, I mean, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think the rule is stupid. The focus on the rule is stupid. And uh, the key thing that you said, that you don't need to throw more subjective calls on the officials. Their job is hard enough and they're terrible enough at it without adding this subjective layer of, 
was that taunting or was it not? I am in complete agreement. I think they should just get rid of it. Let let guys go nuts. I don't even care. I love the celebrations and everything else. But at what point do we say, hey, you guys understand the rules. And in a key spot in the game, you can't do anything. You just can't. And I know it's tough to manage the emotions of, of, of playing a game and a sport and everything else, but you know that these rules are here. Yeah, but the thing about knowing the rules are there and the subjectivity, the subjectivity of the rule makes it hard because you could easily say, and this could be the defense of a player, I showed emotion in a similar way, maybe even a more extreme way, and didn't get flagged for it in the past. Sure. One ref may not throw that flag, and another will. And it's so that to me makes it an impossible thing to officiate accurately. And once you have that problem, once in, in the in the field of sports and laws and rules in general, if you have a problem where it can't be administered fairly every single time, you shouldn't be enforcing that rule. That's an issue. That's something that maybe will take a lot more, you know, you know, uh, delicate handling than just saying we're going to subjectively say that. if you want to say no, no entertainment value at all, no celebrating at all then it's easy. It's very easy to say, oh, we're throwing a flag anytime somebody does anything other than make a tackle or anytime somebody doesn't hand the ball immediately to the referee and go to the sideline after scoring a touchdown. Then if that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. That's boring and it's not realistic. There's human emotion involved in all competitive sports. And if you made a sack on one of the a Hall of Fame NFL quarterback at a crucial point in the game, I'd expect as a human being you to have emotion. And for a ref to subjectively say that's too much or to draw his own imaginary line and throw a flag that impacts the outcome of a game is ridiculous. And there's no other way I can say it. That's you room you leave no room for humanity. And and that's to me what what the emotion of the game that draws people to it and the excitement, the energy and the the storylines of games that adds to it. And you're trying to officiate it out. I don't know why, but that's that's the objective. And it's it's ridiculous to me. Again, I feel I feel I'm in a weird spot because I hate the rules so much, um, and I'm annoyed so much by it because I love watching the the fun and the celebrations and all of those things. So I I hate it, but at the same time, like I'll also say this: nobody in the world is going to tell me that wasn't taunting. Uh, he was formerly on the team and, and was released by them, and he stared the sideline down. Like that is what taunting. That's why the rule is there. Like th again, I don't like it. I hate I hate the rule. I wish in my heart that he could do, make that play run over to the sideline and flex on him and just scream and taunt him. I wish he could. So but I, 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 so, you, so you're of the subjective opinion that I, I agree. The emotions of that storyline are why he did what he did, yeah. but staring at the sideline from 40 yards away is penalized as an act detrimental to the game. To me, I love the fact that that storyline exists and that he let them know about it by staring at them. I love that storyline. So why penalize it? If he, now on the other end, if he goes up to Tomlin and chucks up and tosses a football in his lap, like, hey, thanks for, you know, leaving me or whatever, different. But you staring at the sideline, letting them know, like I said, my subjective opinion is that's okay. The official subjective opinion, no, penalty, 15 yards, keep the drive alive, impact the outcome of the game. To me, when it becomes that subjective and that impactful on the game, to me, that's when I say it, it shouldn't be enforced. If you Now, if you say it's something that doesn't impact the overall flow of the game, you say you penalize a guy for taunting, there's no yardage, there's nothing else other than the guy has one, if he gets another, he's ejected from the game. That, to me, is a more realistic way to, to initiate that rule where taunting is not going to be tolerated. But you're not affecting the game. 
subjectivity matters, but then you also get a chance to define the line of where this official subjectivity ends. If he gives you that, like, hey, that's too much, and you know for the second time, okay, I can't do that anymore. So now if I do it again, it's on me, and the rules are defined for that specific game. That's more realistic. But when it's a 15-yard penalty that keeps the drive alive in critical moments, that to me is where I have an issue with it. Make it something smaller. Make it something personal if you want to. If you get too many of these, it becomes a fine. Or if you get too many taunty penalties, four or five, whatever, like the NBA does, you get the technical, you add, accumulate so many of them, now you sit a game because you've got so many. Something along those lines. But when it blatantly impacts the result of a game and it's subjective whether or not it was taunting, to me, that's where I have an issue with it. And it's they, do, they don't have it right yet. The NFL has not launched this appropriately, in my opinion. They've got to readjust get closer to even on the taunting rule. And I think that's what this next offseason, I think this is an overcorrection and they have to dial it back next season. If you have some leverage, talk about another story. If you have some leverage, if you believe that Odell Beckham gets to pick where he wants to go, where would you go? Would you go to the Chiefs, the Packers, the Saints, the Seahawks, or the Patriots? Mm, I, I mean, all of those options are actually good. I, I'd say I would go to play with Aaron Rodgers. Um, I think they have the better chance of the teams right now, if we're talking about Odell Beckham, to get to the playoffs and be a contender. Um, so that would be my pick. And I think he would compliment instantly Devontae Adams. And I think, you know, that that works, I think, as an individual better, him being instantly the number two option um, in the passing game, at least. But that's why it's it's tough to say because the Chiefs, I mean, obviously, Patrick Mahomes going to let it fly. But that team is is going through some rough times, and I, I don't know if, if they're clicking chemistry wise enough to to add on to it. So it might he might disrupt the flow there more than anything. So I think the Green Bay Packers have an already established kind of hierarchy that will work, and that he can slide in and, and not feel you know left out of that that system. So I, I'd go Green Bay if I was Odell, if I had my choice, if I really legitimately had my choice. But I don't know if it's going to be entirely up to him to decide where he ends up. So along those same lines, I'll, I'll ask about the Chiefs because my my argument and my thought on that in the whole year is like as much as the offensive line has been maligned, the real issue to me watching it is that teams are bracketing Kels, Kels and Hill and taking out their two options and there's nobody else doing anything to get open. Like adding a third option in that offense could be the key that unlocks it. I mean, potentially, yeah. But I, I think what the Chiefs' issue is is they have a stylistic way that they approach it. And what their offense is trying to do is to get those two guys, uh, Kelsey and uh, – and uh, why can't I say his name right now? Tyreek and Hill, to get them open down the field and take explosive shots down the field. Now teams are figuring out that. My thing with the Chiefs is are you willing to change your game plan or your strategy or the way you approach the game and take underneath routes and to take what the defense gives you. And it's been a knock on Patrick Mahomes as great as he's been that he's going to risk making the big play and turning the ball over potentially instead of just keeping the game simple. And so I think that's more the issue with the Chiefs. I think they've had talented receivers and, and they've got guys that can make plays in space that can complement Tyreek Hill and, and Kelsey. But I don't think they're willing to do it. And this may be the learning curve for Patrick Mahomes as great and successful as he's been to dial it back like i'm you're not always going to be the 55 touchdown guy during the season you sometimes are going to be checked down guy and you're going to be checked to a run play guy and if you're not willing to do that if you're not willing to adapt your game to that um defenses like you said are going to realize what you're doing and take that away from you now it's your turn to make a move can you counter that move that the defense has made and right now he hasn't that's why you see turnovers downfield the the big play seeking kind of mentality and, and it's not working out right now in kansas city 
let me ask you this about defensive philosophy with the uh, the Raiders playing the Chiefs coming up this week. Gus Bradley has had success against Patrick Mahomes in the past. Uh, we know he plays, you know, more of a one high safety with the other safety more in the box. That's what Jonathan Abrams is doing a lot of this year. Uh, and he's had success with that defense. What we've seen this year is a ton of teams going too deep, dropping guys back, just keeping everything in front of them, challenging Mahomes to just make everything throw thrown underneath, and he's not doing it. And that's part of why they haven't been successful. How much, if you were a defensive coordinator, would you stick with what you do and you believe in? And how much would you look at all the success these other teams have had against them and kind of emulate what they do? Well, there's a fine line. I think you don't want to change your system. I think that's the question. You don't want to change your system just because other teams are doing something. What you want to do is try to find anything in your system that resembles or accomplishes the same goal as what those other teams have done. And that, I think that's the goal. If you don't have much, if you just if you can't do that with your personnel, with your with your playbook, then I, in my opinion, you don't make the the adjustment to try to mimic somebody else. Your team is good at what they're doing. They have their own scheme down. They've already learned that. Let them play as fast as they can, and, and the 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 game ends where it may, and you roll the dice with that. I'd rather go out being who I am than you know go out trying to be somebody that I'm not. It's kind of the philosophy that I I I'd execute. But there's no doubt your game plan as a defense can't be you know, single high safety all night long against Patrick Mahomes. I mean, that's that's asking for death. I, I mean, that's that's just ridiculous. So um, you have to make some sort of adjustment where there's two safeties over the top, where you bracket a guy where, you know, you add guys to the coverage and not necessarily add guys to the box. So um, it's a fine line. I definitely don't say you, you take the film from somebody else and say, we're going to do that this week. No, you, you got to find something in your own scheme that maybe matches or, or, or achieves the same goal as some of the other teams that have had success against Patrick Mahomes. Caleb, we're up against it. We got a full hour of uh, Rebel talk. I almost said running Rebel talk. The crossover, it always gets me um, at 530 on the Marcus Arroyo radio show. So we'll see you in a little bit, okay? All right, take care, guys. Have fun. Boy, Adam, is he's so fired up right now. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll so talk about it. We have, we have a visitor to the set. We'll, we'll tell you what's going on here at the T&M. It's one of the, the things that Adam loves. Uh, I think the only thing you love more is when the fella comes by with the 40 oh he did he came with uh, the giant the bag guy, of popcorn yeah. that is that is a yearly event for adam hill now back to cofield and company live at the thomas and matt yep yearly occurrence we uh, kick off the college basketball season it started last night but for unlv it starts tonight and the yearly occurrence is us being out here kind of getting our bearings it's going to actually be fans in the building this year, which was bizarre last year. Uh, UNLV's taking on Gardner-Webb at 7 o'clock. Adam Hill, Cofield, uh, the person with the giant bag of popcorn walked by. I didn't see that. That happens every year. Um, we haven't had the drug-sniffing dog, which I know, yeah, you know because Adam gets – whatever. Um, he gets a little nervous when his bag gets sniffed. Um, we did have a canine here, and I don't know if you could hear the squeaky toy in the background, but – the uh, that was UNLV police, right? I think it was campus police. Yeah. And the, the canine, the dog came over, was loving the squeaky toy, and then I think lost the squeaky no, toy. No, it was a disaster. So oh, he, did it get wedged? He was yeah. The the officer was throwing the ball to the to the canine dog who was loving life chasing. You have to the say ball dog around. after you say canine. Is yeah, it just right. canine? No, you're right. I'm just uh, asking. Maybe no, you do. This is redundant. Uh, like other canine, other animals? I don't think so. Keep going. I completely forgot. Us. No, he was. So the officer was throwing the the tennis ball, the squeaky tennis ball. The canine was chasing it, loving. I mean, I've never seen a dog so happy, just loving life, wagging the tail, chasing the ball around, and then he rolled 
underneath this cabinet thing over here. And the dog just sing the single mindedness of I will get that ball. Like you have, you don't have like, you don't have real arms. You don't have long arms to reach under there, bro. Like you can't, he kept trying to stick his nose under. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. So the officer came back and got the ball and then immediately thrilled. The dog was so thrilled. And then you missed your chance. All those times you've wanted to stab me live on the show. You could have done it with a law enforcement officer right there. Two of them. They would have and they wouldn't have noticed. Arrested me. Right? Oh, yeah, because they were getting the ball. They were worried about the, yeah. ball, the ball on the wedge underneath. Yeah, it was good. Mateo wouldn't have said anything. I've only known him for a little while. He, yeah. You can already tell he's like Cofield. Well, he probably wants to. <laughs> he, would, well. he would have jumped in on the other side. A little high-low knife action. All right, yeah. what else? What's up now? Oh, no, I What's just, the latest attraction? Uh, I, I, I just thought I don't want to talk about it until I read the story. So. Okay. All right. Sports or otherwise? Uh, no sports. It's oh, no. Yeah, involving the All right. Andrew Ruggs case. So. Something juicy coming up. Yeah, sure. we'll get to Ruggs and uh, what was going to be his court appearance today. He didn't appear, but we heard from his attorney. So we'll get to that in the 5 o'clock hour. But on the way, we want to continue uh, to break down some college football. I want you to run by your whole assertion that Michigan got screwed uh, against Michigan State, and they absolutely deserve, even though they lost that head-to-head, to be ahead of Michigan State in the CFP as we're going to talk to one of the guys from the Big Ten Network former NFL player, Super Bowl champion, played at Illinois, Howard Griffith is going to join Cofield and company. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. A lot of excitement right now. There's, uh, guys are excited to get out there. Uh, main goal today was stay healthy, keep the excitement and the intensity at a high level, and uh, I think we accomplished that. But now they're excited. I mean, it's what we talked about, you know, it's finally here. Cofield and Company, live at the Thomas and Matt. Yeah, we're getting ready for college basketball, but Adam Hill and I always keep a close eye on college football. Big fans. The Las Vegas Bowl coming up in seven weeks. We're going to have a premium game in town. It's a new game, too. You got Pac-12 number two against Big Ten number three. This guy played in the league at Illinois. He's on Big Ten Network, was a two-time Super Bowl champion. Howard Griffith joins Stephen Adam here in Vegas. How are you, sir? I'm good. Doing good, fellas. How about you all? We're good. We're good. Uh, obviously, we, we get to hash out the college football playoff and uh, scream and yell. And, you know, we both understand it's it's mostly a TV show. So they're, they're kind of setting us up to freaking flip out. But I wanted to get you, you know, starting on this one. Are they going with head-to-head results or are they not going with head-to-head results? Because I'm confused. It depends on the week. I think that's, yeah. that's really what it comes down to. It just depends on the week. Obviously, last week you saw that team go from, you know, top to bottom, top 25. You saw since the team won head-to-head, they were ranked ahead, and then obviously everyone's talking about, you know, where Michigan and Michigan State were this week because Michigan State won uh, won the head-to-head and didn't play all that well against the Purdue team that, oh, by the way, the committee decided to rank 19 this week after not being ranked. So that's also curious as well, but – you know, it's just one of those things. And the other part of it is, listen, it's all going to play out. But I yep. think what we all want that are following sports, that love the sports, we want to just see this. We want to see the consistency from the committee so that when we're having our conversation amongst our buddies, having a beer, we want to say we know what's going on and we know exactly what they want to do. But we don't get that with the committee. What if they just went by Vegas and just went on the Vegas power <laughs> rankings? Because we kind of we like that. Because, well, I'll tell you, Howard, the first – the first Final Four came out, and uh, the two games, the point spreads were like minus 17 and minus 20 and a half. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, listen, Vegas has always known something. 
which is the amazing thing all the time about, you know, for someone like myself who doesn't live in Vegas but understands the lines, it's still, it's always amazing how these lines come out. But listen, I think, like I said, it's all going to play itself out. Uh, the, the Big Ten East is, is going to settle itself. You look down at the SEC, that's going to settle itself. Uh, and at the end of the day, you want the four best teams. Now, if you want to make the argument that this is perfect for the reason that we need to go to, to expand and at least expand the 12, then that's a different discussion. I do believe we need to expand. Well, you know, on the expansion of 12, we saw something last week with the SEC where they're like, no, you can't do eight conference champions. Is this ever going to work with the SEC, or is the goal of the SEC, you know what, we're just going to get to 20 teams and have our own level of college football. And at that point, like I'm a Big Ten fan, went to a Big Ten school, kind of Rutgers. Um, but at that point, I'm like, you know what, SEC, screw off. Do your own thing. The rest of us are going to play college football without you. Yes, and I, I think if you're, an, if you're the SEC commissioner, you're, you're in charge. It's your responsibility is putting your, your programs and your member institutions in the best place to be able to take advantage of the college football playoffs. But, but the, 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 the thing is right now is that when they all have to vote, it's the Pac-12, the Big Ten, uh, in the ACC, who control the votes now? So I think ultimately we'll go to 12. You'll have a four teams uh, that'll four teams that'll get by. Hopefully those teams get uh, on campus games, and you know I think that's probably ultimately the way they are going to go about it. What What are your thoughts on the challenge Alabama's putting themselves through this week? The tough, <laughs> tough grind of a schedule. <laughs> New Mexico State coming to town. You know, it's weird at that time of the year where, you know, the SEC has strategically planned some of these games where some might call them a bye. Others might say it's, a, you know, it's just a cupcake game. But, listen, I think, again, you know, where the SEC got this thing right is when it comes to the playoffs and trying to get their teams into the playoff situation. I mean, they've done it the right way as far as they're concerned, as far as scheduling is concerned. But I think they're all now looking at, uh, being incentivized to to play bigger teams and better competition, and Alabama is one of the ones that's doing that. I think they've got something coming up with Wisconsin, Notre Dame. Uh, they've got some other stuff, I believe, with um, I can't believe blanking on the other team, but they're starting to schedule much better. But but I understand the concerns when when you look up and you're playing a directional school at the end of the year. Howard Griffith played at Illinois, played in the NFL. He's with the Big Ten Network now. So who's better? Uh, because, again, in Vegas, we don't look at one game as, hey, that means that's absolutely the better team. Yeah. And there was some weirdness in the Michigan-Michigan State game. Vegas says Michigan is better than Michigan State. Now the CFP says Michigan is better than Michigan State. What do you think? I believe after last week's game, Michigan is uh, the better team right now. And, you know, I know uh, the committee got some, some grief about that, about, you know, saying that, uh, you know, this week it was a little different. They they, they Debated for 30 minutes, but they all felt that Michigan was the more complete team, was, I believe, the quote by uh, Gary Barter. And, and I think right now they are. And I, I know you're only a, you know, a week removed away from the game against Michigan State, but the reality is uh, they were playing a lot better. Now, listen, I, I do give a lot of credit to what Purdue has been able to do, and uh, Purdue is going to give, believe it or not, I think they're going to give uh, Ohio State this week all they can handle because Ohio State has some issues in the past game, and they have trouble getting to the quarterback with just a four-man rush, which is one of the main reasons uh, Michigan State found themselves in trouble against Purdue. So, you know, listen, I think it's one of those things that right now Michigan is kind of rolling. Everybody's waiting for the collapse of, of Jim Harbaugh, but he, this is a much different team right now. They're playing a lot better in all three phases of the game. What if I say Penn State's going to beat Michigan this week? I, I wouldn't be surprised. 
Yeah. It, it, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, Penn State's getting healthier. The, the, the biggest concern for me in Penn State, and this has been a concern for quite a while, they can't run the ball when they want to run the ball. So, I mean, if it's third and short, you know, they, it's, it's a less than 50-50 chance they're going to be able to pick it up running. First and 10, you know, they end up second and long. And that's, that's been a reoccurring theme and something that they've got to get figured out. Uh, so if, you know, if they can be made one-dimensional, it becomes much difficult, much easier to slow them down. Jahan Dotson is, you know, one of the most explosive players out there in the country right now, and they've got to find ways to get him the ball. And Sean Clifford has gotten a lot healthier over the last couple of weeks, and he's playing real well. But I just think they need to be able to run the ball defensively in the defensive line. They're getting healthier as well. And really, they've got one of the better secondaries in the Big Ten right now. By the way, is there a chance that Ohio State gets through, you know, all these tests coming up, including the Michigan game, and then Wisconsin is actually at a peak after we all wrote them off, or no, not all of us, but a lot of us wrote Wisconsin <laughs> off early in the season, and the, the Badgers upset the whole freaking thing. Yeah, yeah it, that, that is a, there's something to be said about that. And, you know, what I'm still concerned with, that they run the ball, but I don't, I don't know, and I'm not convinced that their passing attack is where it needs to be. Uh, to go up against a, a team like Ohio State and score enough points. I think ultimately it's going to come down once you get to these conference championships and then the 14 playoffs. Yeah, deep, it's great to have defense, but you better be able to find a way to score points. And, and I don't know that they're going to be able to do that yet, but it's no doubt they've gotten better after being left for dead, and they've seen to turn that thing around. And really, defensively, they're unbelievable uh, what they're able to do on, the, on that side. You talk about dictating pace uh, to the offense. Jim Leonard... Uh, has that defense and has had that defense playing at a really high level since he's taken over. I'm curious, what do you think of the relationship now that has been forged with this uh, new alignment in the Las Vegas Bowl with uh, the Big Ten kind of rotating with the SEC and the Pac-12 in the game? Um, I, I know Vegas, from a tourism standpoint, likes when certain Big Ten schools are here because they bring in big crowds. <laughs> yeah, you know, and that's the thing. And you know, I think it's really an interesting venue and I think an, an exciting venue for, you know, our Midwest, the Big Ten teams in the Midwest, obviously, um, to get away from the cold weather for a little bit. You come hang out in Vegas and, you know, all the bells and whistles that, goes, that go on out there. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a great opportunity, you know, for exposure. Uh, and I think one of the things about our fans, they, they travel so well, particularly during bowl season. Well, some of them do during bowl season. But, you know, to get to a different venue, to be somewhere you haven't uh, been, to be playing in a – you know, a first-class facility will be outstanding for whoever gets the opportunity to go out there this year. Will we see Illinois in a bowl game? They'd have they'd have to win out. That's a big big test against Iowa, but it's possible to yeah. win these last two. Yeah, it's a huge test against them. But but that, what we've learned about this Illinois team is they can go on the road and beat anybody. <laughs> so you know, and be physical and, and control the line of scrimmage, and that's who they are. Now they have to get some consistency. Because, yes, they've been able to run the ball, but, you know, and defensively they've played well. But the offense as a whole uh, in the past game as well has kind of sputtered a little bit. And that's where it's been up and down. And But I think uh, Coach Bielema is going to find a way to get Illinois back into a situation where they're, they're in bowl games each and every year. He's proven that he can do it, he, he, that he can build a program. He took over a program in Wisconsin that was already flying very high, but was able to maintain that you can make the argument, took it to new heights. Uh, so I'm, he knows the Midwest. Knows the Midwest is a big team guy. So I think Illinois will be there soon, sooner rather than later. By the way, what do you think of 
when he was talking about his current roster about three weeks ago and said, hey, you know, the, you know, a lot of these guys are doing absolutely nothing. I think I know what he was trying to say, but it was a bit clunky. Yeah. But that, you know what that said? They've actually responded in most spots pretty well since he, you know, he said right now a lot of these guys aren't doing anything for us. Yeah, and, they, and then they went off to, to Penn State and, and yeah. figured out how to beat them. So, you know, it's interesting. And I think, listen, anytime a coach is speaking from the front of the room, there's generally a message that he's trying to get to uh, through the media to try to get to his teammates and uh, his, his, players, his players, rather. Um, and I think that's just part of what, you know, being a new coach in a new system where you have not recruited the players that are there. Uh, yeah, he asked all those super seniors to come back. I think he got 22 super seniors this year. And have all of them played up to their ability? Probably not. But at the end of the day, you know, they're buying into what he's saying and it's showing on the field. They just have to get more consistent. And I think that comes with having better players. You've got to continue to recruit. There's no question about that. But you just have to continue to put your players in a position to win games. And they've been able to do that when they go on the road. Since we're discussing Illinois, what are your thoughts on their basketball team? This could be a big season. Should be a big season. Should be a really big season. Excited about the opportunity that they have. You know, kicked off the season last night against Jackson State. Uh, but I'm expecting, you know, some better competition here soon. Really get an opportunity once Big Ten play starts to get an opportunity to see exactly where this team is going to be. But it's a got a got you know big time veterans back, some young players that are really going to be able to contribute. So it's going to be an exciting year for Illinois basketball once again. Yeah, I was just thinking if uh, I don't think it would be allowed by Coach Brad, but if uh, Bielema could go over and steal Kofi Coburn, I don't think I've seen a bigger guy at seven feet. I don't know if you, have you been around him and I, that guy yeah. like seven footers the one that like generally seven footers are kind of skinny even if they weigh like 240 they still look skinny yeah. this guy's like 300 pounds and like all muscle yeah. he he's massive yeah and you know it, and as you just said i mean a seven footer is a seven footer i mean there's still some long dudes and you just look at them you just this is impossible how can any human be this tall and be this big and be able to run up and down the court the way he does but He's got it figured out, so we'll be happy to get him back on the court uh, and get going so, you know, the team can really see where we are this year. Where is the uh, the pregame show coming from this Saturday for the Big Ten Network? Ooh, you know, they'll be in Bloomington, I believe, this week, and uh, you know, we'll be uh, in Chicago hanging out in the studios and, you know, trying to get things done. But it's exciting. You know, there's wind, things are winding down, and we're starting to get a lot more clarity into where our teams are headed and just what type of teams we have. And it's, it's kind of amazing that the season is just about over. It's crazy. Yeah. We're in, what, the second week of November already. And, you know, you just mentioned the bowls. And it's like, they're right around the corner. I know. Um, and, you know, you, whoever whoever put it together, maybe it's one of you, you guys came up with the idea. I will tell you, uh, me being here in Vegas, I do like that you guys kind of do some props uh, with some picks. And I know Donardo always kind of laughs when you're doing it. But I actually, actually, I do really enjoy it. I think that's a really good feature you guys have added. You know, I appreciate that. You know, we've been going back and forth on, on whether or not we should even be doing them because sometimes when they pay, when we try to pay the bet off or you try to pay it off, you know, the fan looks at the numbers, and, and I wasn't quite sure that people remembered exactly what we were picking. It's cool right. when we go through it, but I just wonder at the end uh, or the next week when we show the pick, does anybody even remember what it was we were picking? Howard, we appreciate it, man. Thank you so much for popping up. All right, guys. Take care. Have a great weekend. There he is, the uh, former running back fullback in the NFL. Howard Griffith played at Illinois. Believe it or not, actually had eight touchdowns in one game. I think it's eight touchdowns in one game. Was a ninth-round pick. What? Ninth round. Yeah, there used to be a ninth round. Used to be. Uh, I don't. When did they start cutting it off at like 16 rounds? It might have gone longer than that. 
in the old days before me. I don't even remember. I, by the way, I knew you wanted to make a transition because I was thinking the same thing. I'm like, I actually think, like, as good as the Big Ten is in football, I actually think the Big Ten for basketball because Dude, it's deeper. It's and this loaded. year is ridiculous. And they, like, I was just watching some Maryland highlights, and I'm like, damn it. They got Fats Russell. That kid is really good. And then they got a seven-foot, you know, like a Kofi Coburn clone, uh, a dude from Georgetown who's like seven-foot 270. Because at Maryland, they were like, we're not winning enough. It yeah. is time to go in the transfer portal and do whatever we need to do to get players. Yeah, and they're stacked. But, like, you look at, you look at Maryland, and I was looking at them. Like I said, I, I was uh, – I, I did projected win totals for almost every team in the country. Um, did, me a lot, did me a lot of good. Uh, but I was looking at Maryland like, wow, this team's great. And you start looking at their schedule like, you got to play all these Big Ten teams over and over. Purdue is amazing. Illinois is awesome. Michigan is one of the top teams in the country. It's crazy. Remember, we'll have Big Ten fans here in town for the Las Vegas Bowl. You can get your own tickets at LVBowl.com. The game's coming up on December 30th, and there are in excess of 35,000 tickets sold already. And you know whoever comes from the Big Ten is going to travel. We'll see who is in from the Pac-12. But this year, on December 30th, it's Pac-12 against Big Ten. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield & Co. It's Cofield & Company, live at the Thomas & Mads. Getting ready for a UNLV game opener of this season. Last night, it seemed like 500 games. College basketball, I think it was 22, 21 of the top 25 teams in the country opened up. Uh, two more play tonight. Rebels are taking on Gardner-Webb. Uh, this is an aggressive schedule to start the season, not because of Gardner-Webb, but next up is Cal. Cal actually just lost. Was that UC San Diego they lost to? On their home floor, I think by double digits. So they were struggling. Cal's in on Saturday. Then you've got uh, next week, North Dakota State. And then after that, here comes Michigan. And then uh, Wichita or Arizona next weekend. Did I miss a game? No, I was thinking it, was, it might have been University of San Diego. I'm not sure. I, I, I was There was, like you said, I was trying to look at scores on the plane last night. Uh, from like the last two nights, it was crazy how many games have been, have been played and trying to keep up with it all. But. Uh, yeah, uh, a strange start to the season for sure for them. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents the Big Five at Five, number five. Uh, you know what, audience? Give Adam Hill a little bit of a break. He's in today as a company. He was just on a long vacation in New York. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you got a lot done. I did. And that well, was after you had planned to go to New York early last week, and then the rugs disaster happened and then yeah. you stayed around to cover that you go to new york and i know you know obviously you covered the raiders against the giants which we'll get to uh, what happened in that game and what's going to happen in this chiefs game uh, at the end of the big five but you also you and grainy were out there to cover the rangers do some gallant stuff and uh, also talk about what eichel's surgery because there's a ufc fighter who lives in the area right who had a similar surgery yeah uh kind of knocked it all out over the course of four days of um, UFC Saturday night, as you said, a huge card at Madison Square Garden. Always cool to go to events there um, and just kind of you know see the see the craziness. Um, then you know Raiders Sunday, which by the way, what a mess I am. Uh, I got to the stadium on Sunday morning, realized I had a computer issue, had an Uber to a Best Buy, and Uber back to the stadium before the game, and oh boy, was that an issue. Uh, How was Mawa? 
Where did you go? No, I went to, uh, to Best Buy and Secaucus. Secaucus. Lovely Secaucus. Uh, the worst part is there's a mall at MetLife closed on Sunday. What are you closing on Sunday for? The people, this is stupid. Uh, so, no. Th- this, that mall's closed on Sundays? At isn't least that, the Best Buy that like was. the freaking American one, Dream White Plaza or whatever? Like, it costs hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, only there would they open a mall in 2020. At least I know the, it's 2021, at least, but they did just open it. I was say, at least the electronic store that I was looking for was closed oh, okay. on Sunday. Um, but how about this? I I, oop, I I took a ride share to the game, or excuse me, to the Best Buy electronic store. Um, I got one back. It's like 1045, so we're still a little over two hours till game time. I get in the, get in the car. The guy goes, oh, you're going to, you're going to the stadium? I was like, yeah. He's like, I don't go there. And I'm like, well, <laughs> Okay. Well, what does this mean? So he starts driving. So I'm like, I guess he's going to go there. It's fine. No. We get off the exit where you're supposed to go. Want to drive he you turns off the, the other way. Oh, really? I'm like, he goes, I, I don't go into the stadium property. I'm like, well, what, then why are you taking yeah, me? Why'd you pick me up? Drop me 1.7 miles from the stadium. Oh, my God. Which is fine. I mean, I just walked to the stadium. But, like, what are we doing now? Were you in the car when uh, we were trying to come over to a fight from the Strip to uh, the Thomas and Mac? And... There was a bunch of traffic, and the cabbie, like, uh, I don't know, like halfway between the strip and trop is like, yeah, you got to get out here <laughs> and try to drop us off, That's which great. wasn't, it really wasn't that big a deal. But I will tell you that someone in the car was enraged and was like, we're not getting out. Uh, is it a radio person? It is a radio person. I don't know who that is. Well, uh, although it actually could be multiple radio true. people who may have been enraged. That's true. Uh, and the, the, the guy wound up uh, driving us. Okay, nice. Yeah, we, we, fixed, we fixed that situation. I gave my I'm guy- guessing the meek, meek that inherits the earth, Adam Hill. What'd you do? You gave him what? A five, big tip? Five stars and a tip. Of course you did. I was going to say. Um, I course. gave him hell. Nope. No. No. Out. I gave I like, him a rash of crap. Thanks nope. for the ride. Here's your tip. Uh, good job. Um, but yeah, and then, and then it was like, it was, so it was that. It was, as you said, uh, got to sit down with uh, Gallant and Reeves uh, at their practice facility, which, by the way, not in New York. Didn't know that one. Um, that was fun. Um, How far away is that? It was like a 50-something minute train ride followed by a ride share. Right. It's like, a, it's like I tell folks all the time, you know, uh, uh, that place is not as attractive as you think it is no. for the athletes. No. Everything is a giant pain in the and ass. And I've always thought. Nothing is close. I've always thought, like, oh, if you're an athlete in New York, how great is that? You're living in the city. But, like, no. There's no way you live in the city if you're on the Knicks. It's the Knicks and the Rangers and the Liberty have a joint uh, practice, practice facility. Uh, it's Westchester? Like, it's in Westchester. Terrytown, I guess it's, it's called. Um, so that was interesting. But, yeah, it was – I got to, you know, walk around the city. I love just hanging out in the city. It's crazy to just see people and got to see David Tell for, like, an hour and a half at, at the uh, Comedy so, uh, Cellar. Vacationing until 2.30 in the morning, watching comedy while the rest of us are working. And then getting up very early and <laughs> doing some more work. But, yeah, I got – I knocked out, like, five different stories from five different sports and uh, actually got to see some some stuff. It was kind of cool. Number four. Find out down the road what the stuff was. Well, not, not all of it's out yet. So you are you're very bullish on the Chiefs adding Odell Beckham. I'm bullish on no one adding Odell Beckham. I just think he's not worth it. I don't think he's a great player anymore. I think he's going to be a pain almost anywhere he goes. But you think it would it can work with the Chiefs? Yeah. Well, I think only because it's specifically what I think they need. Um, I, I think you're right. Like in certain situations, and we discussed that with Cleveland. I think they're better without him. Like, they've shown that over the last couple of years. They've played better when he's not on the field. And a lot of that, I think, is that Baker Mayfield tries to force the ball to him every time. 
and probably hears about it when he doesn't. So he's trying to force it to him instead of just letting, hey, if you want to rotate your coverage over to Beckham and single cover everybody else, then we're going to throw to everybody else. And they don't really do that because I don't think Beckham lets them. Now, would he allow that in some place like Kansas City? I don't know. Has he been you know, humbled to the point of, oh, nobody really wanted to claim me. This sucks. Maybe I'll you know, maybe change how I approach some things. I, I don't know. But I do know that watching the film on the Chiefs, their biggest problem is not their offensive line. It's the fact that they don't have a third option. And Odell Beckham would be a very, very good third option. Would he accept being a third option? That's the question. I don't know. But if he did, if he embraced it, and if he's going to Kansas City, I imagine he'd be embracing that. Um, I think that could be very effective. I think that would be something that that could make that offense finally click a little bit uh, going forward for the for the rest of the season. But again, I like you'd have to convince me that he would embrace that role as the third receiver, second receiver, but third option uh, to make that work. And if if he did, I think that would be amazing. I just don't know if that would happen. Number three. So we love talking about the roads here in Las Vegas, and especially around uh, Allegiant Stadium, right? And the 15 and the 215 and the TROP interchange. And we're all wondering, you know, when they're going to start working on TROP and the 15, because it's going to be a living hell, but it needs to be done. It's going to cost a lot of money. Well, your boy Mick Akers was chronicling the other day in the paper that there's a little beef right now with the state and station casinos because if folks don't know they own that land a lot of land at the wild wild west i hadn't heard this before do you know uh, they're saying they're planning on building a mega resort there yeah they've showed the um the images of what it could look like but they've had the land for how long okay and i've always and and i've always thought that uh that would be a perfect place for one more stadium if it's a baseball stadium and then kind of have that you know, that sports complex, you build a, a pedestrian bridge across from T-Mobile, then you could walk down to the football stadium. It'd be really cool there. But I didn't know about this mega resort. So what's happening here is the timeline to start to 15 and TROP makeover could be delayed. And it already what, has been what Station Casinos is claiming is that, hey, listen, you're, the plan is to eliminate the... So think about it, folks, right, from a traffic standpoint. They want to eliminate the light at Dean Martin and TROP. And Trop which is you know kind of that corner there by an in and out by Wild Wild West. And, the you know, the mock-up looks pretty good. It's actually kind of smart. They're, they're going to do, you know, an underpass underneath. Yeah, Dean Martin would go underneath. Trump and you can't go through on Dean Martin with a car, right? You, can, you will not be able to go through. I mean, because they're saying, you know, one of the big problems is when you're going 15 south to get on the trop west, that backs up. You know what's funny? I take that all the time, but I always take it east. To come down here yeah. to Thomas and Mac, I've never noticed a backup. And today I was there. I was like, "Ooh, that's a pretty good backup." Imagine what that would be like, as you know, we have more and more events there. That ain't good. No. So I wonder how this is going to play out because I don't I mean, is there? There really is no need for a light there. The way they have it redesigned, it actually looks pretty good. And that I never thought about it. that light is a giant pain in the keister. It is, and in the way they would re- redesign, of course, there would not be need be a need for a light. But you also think about think about it from station's perspective. What happens when you're backed up at that light? Oh, let me just go stop in here. I don't want. I'm just going to go run into this casino right now. It's Wild Wild West. In the future, it could be another, you know, mega resort. Sometimes you know? it's so backed up, I'll be. Like, you know what? I'm going to get a room tonight. All right, maybe not. Maybe you do that, or I'm just going to go play blackjack. You know, that, maybe that I'll, happen. Maybe I'll go get a room for an hour. That could happen. Sure, I think that's happened. Not for me, but it, other people. Well, especially in 
that area. Yes. Well, that, I, I was being subtle about it. Yeah. It's being subtle about Not it. Not me. I won't. You won't have to use a truck. You can what use of, a. Uh, what are they? What are they called? A lot, lot, lot lizards. Lot lizards. Yes. Yes. We, know, we, just, we just can't. Do I knew the term. Anything. I was yeah. just pretending I didn't. Yes. Uh, so yeah, I mean that that's the area to go do that in. I don't know if that would happen at the resort. I don't. I'm not sure. You don't want to pay a resort fee with your lounge lizard. I don't know. That's rough. I'll tell you what. The the way they've uh, designed some of the area around Allegiance to this point, I've got some points where I go in and out. Um, that said, I will not pull a Kantowski who freaking spoiled the Tropicana sneaky parking lot to get over to T-Mobile. Thanks, Ron. Not going to do it. So I will not reveal my secret methods of getting down to the owl. So people can figure it out on your own. Your methods of getting there? Yeah. I, I'll t- I can tell. And I've said over two. and over again the best way to get there. Number two. I just, I just think the. Number two. Number two. Yeah. That's it. If you drive on any of the surface streets. Number two. From Round southwest of the stadium. Number two. Well, if you don't live southwest, though, there's other ways to use you, you Number two. The southwest. Number two. We're not doing. We're not pulling the same thing that Ron did with the, the trop. Well, that was a, that was giving that was it away. A, that that was, was a disaster. But that was ruining it for people because obviously they were then informed of like watching for it. Right. Like that was it. He was giving away free parking secrets. Um, you know how many bo- you know how many boxing pack. matches and UFC fights I you walk right across the street. It was heaven on earth. Instead of going into the MGM garage and trying to get out of 17 levels when it's crowded, I still do it. Thank you. Number two. Oh, now, now I can't get up. All right, so Rugs, Henry Rugs could have been in court today. He was not, but his attorneys were. Um, he could now be facing up to 50 years with some extra charges tacked on. There was something interesting today where uh, one side wants to include medicals and, and injuries to his girlfriend the defense team is fighting that and in general uh david chesnoff came out and made some statements like let's all calm down the facts are not always the facts lawyers are constrained by what they can say about the facts of a case by court rule and state bar rules the police aren't the police an arm of the district attorney has released what they say are facts I have been doing this for 40 years, and I can tell each and every one of you that I have had multiple experiences where the facts that were presented at the outset of the case turned out not to be the facts. That guy is about as good as it gets when it comes to defense attorneys, and he's represented a lot of athletes, a lot of celebrities. And, you know, we talk a lot of legal on the show with Justin Watkins and Xavier Pope and Judge Dan on our podcast. And last week, I think we were talking about, hey, well, like, what's what does Chesnoff come up with? What can he come up with here? And Judge Dan actually said, well, maybe they go after her car. You know, there's something wrong with her car, that it was a fire risk. Because they're going to have to find something here. Well, let, there, me, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of evidence going against them. Let me that, do this. Let me do this for him with the caveat that I think is very important. Right. Of, and, and when you hear lawyers speak about cases, especially even lawyers that are not part of the case, keep in mind, like, they are talking from a strictly legal perspective because – I've heard people say to me about that conversation that we had of like, what a bunch of jerks trying to, you know, get Henry Ruggs off. No, this is a legal discussion about how lawyers are going to act in a court case. And you you can't have emotions. You want you want to deal with reality or there is no there is no too soon. You know, their real life is they're going to try to defend him and get him off or lessen the charges. And if as adults, we're going to address that like. Do I want to see him get off? I, unless there's something compelling to defend him, 
no, I feel terrible that one of our locals was killed in this crash. So believe me, I don't know that I'm going to be happy if they come up with something. No, but you do want people to be able to have. Now, there's an argument about, obviously, the, you know, the level of defense that some people get compared to others, but that's a whole different thing. Lawyers are going to talk about this from a strictly legal perspective, and you can't get mad about that. That's just the reality of how life is. And part of the discussion was, hey, the crash is she did not die in the crash. She died in the fire afterwards. So how could you approach that sort of thing? And it sounds like that may be part of the direction they're going in because we get report today from the Review Journal that it sounds like what the lawyers are going to do is say, maybe there was some hesitation in putting out the fire because the police, excuse me, the fire department wasn't aware that there was somebody in the car and that they were like, well, the car is burning, but there's nobody in it. So let's take our time. Nobody knows if, th if that's fact. That seems like the direction that part of the defense could go in. So again, you're going to hear some things that make you mad. Listen, I'm grossed out talking about this. I think it was a horrific, disgusting act that he needs to absolutely face justice for, for as long as the court seems appropriate. But we have to also live in real life where a defense is going to be mounted. And you have to have the discussion of what that defense is going to be. And it seems like right now, that's the direction we're going in. But as Chesnoff said, listen, you're hearing one side of the case. They're going to present the other side of the case. And then justice is going to be done in a courtroom. And that's where it's going to play out. But, you know, and again, it's not the most comfortable thing in the world to discuss these things. But you're going to hear this. So be ready for it for the next couple months and even potentially years. Number one. I did not tee you up today to go... I assume crazy on the it's Vegas's fault. You know how many we times, only have a couple minutes left. You know how many times I've typed up tweets the last week? I, I know. And, and then deleted them. And I was just, you know, there, there was a guy in SI who sent out a story or he wrote a story for SI. It was sent out the uh, Connor Orr, who was actually on with Q earlier today. And the, the notion that the NFL has to come in to help clean up the Raiders is just, it's so laughable. The Raiders have some issues, clearly. And, uh, and, and a lot of us are annoyed with what's gone on here the last couple of weeks and, and even going back the last couple of years. But for anyone to say that th this league is qualified to come in and clean up any franchise, give me a freaking break. And, and th that, that was kind of benign as compared to some of the other stuff that's been thrown out yeah. there by Albert Breer and Peter King. And the way they've done it is gutless because both of them are like, you know, I'm not saying, but is this because the team is in Vegas? And those of us on the, on the ground here in Vegas have been like, Stop, guys. All right. I mean, that's believe me. That's a nice way to to say it. So, how do you feel about this? Seeing Vegas get hit repeatedly for problems with the Raiders. It's disgusting. Uh, for, and for and by the way, I'm very annoyed with Peter King because I kind of met him indirectly this weekend. He was it was like on an elevator. He was like the most polite guy ever. And I was like, hey, this guy's pretty cool. I like. What did you expect him to do? Like, hey, I'm Adam Hill from Vegas. You suck. It's your fault. Your town sucks. What no, no, no. He didn't. It wasn't even like a meeting. He was no. like. He was like he was like forcing his way out of the elevator. He's like, I'm so sorry. Like I apologize. Like he wasn't like being like like pushing you out of the way. He was, it was just a normal level of human decency. Your one encounter, he seemed to be a decent human being. And, and, then, and, and, then, and, and then he theorized that Vegas is terrible. I saw his story and I was infuriated. I was like, you were so nice on the elevator, bro. What happened? Um, it, it it really 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 bothers me that this is being made a Vegas thing. Um, but also like there are certain people that aren't helping. I almost 
wanted to run up at Quentin Jefferson today when he was talking on on the dais um, at Raiders facility because he was saying some really, really poignant things, some really, really important things. And he was really, really doing a good job talking about the situation and how they're feeling and everything else. And I was just sitting there like, man, this, this is great. This is as good as we've heard from anybody. I love this. And then he goes, you know, guys are going to be coming to Vegas. It's going to take a certain level to handle it. And like, not everybody can do it. I was like, Quentin, stop it. You're, you're helping this ridiculous narrative. Well, do we need to come to grips with the fact that in some ways he's right? No. Okay. No, because I, again, and we've heard it every once in a while about places like Miami and let's be real direct New Orleans. Like every once in a while, somebody says it. But is new? What is the difference between New Orleans and here? Nothing. Nothing. And then you hear this. Like I, I saw somebody yesterday who's a, like a blogger person, a fringe media personality, who was like, "This is why they didn't want a team in Vegas forever." Dennis has nothing to do with why they didn't want a team in Vegas. By the way, I will again remind everyone because you were on these shows. This is why I said I don't know if we want the NFL right. in Vegas. True. And no one, I don't hear anyone say that. We were worried, and I'll do it again. I did it the other day. The breeding grounds for these issues are not Vegas. The breeding grounds are Columbus, Ohio, Gainesville, Florida, Waco, Texas, State College, Pennsylvania. Jacksonville, Florida now? Tuscaloosa. You know, Miami-Dade, Lincoln, Nebraska. You know, these are the places that produce the entitled athlete where they feel like they're above the law. But let's also not, not, and I'm not saying every one of them that comes out, every kid that comes out of those schools is entitled, but it's places like that where they really are above the law in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah. Gainesville is the, the Gainesville is the, the worst when urban Meyer was there. And we know, we know there are fixers around a lot of schools. That's, that's America's football problem. Not Las Vegas. Yeah, completely. Well, and, and you know, it's the Henry Ruggs case is, Obviously, it's front and center. It's awful and disgusting. But, like, the Damon Arnett issue is also going on right now. Mm-hmm. And, again, we're hearing it. Damon Arnett was, you know, had issues throughout his time in Columbus, was covered up time and time again by, who was the coach? Um, was allowed to get away. Uh, apparently, now, it's up to, what, six incidents that he had? Well, he's with the Raiders, and it was just ignored. Now, I believe it all came out now because of what happened with Ruggs. Right. But like these things were allowed to go on and go on because he's an athlete and people didn't want to hold him accountable because he could help them win games. We got a basketball game, uh, game coming up at seven o'clock, six thirty with running rebel warm up. But before that, we're going to cut out a little early. We have all this UNLV programming kind of stacked on top of each other. So coming up, Marcus Arroyo radio show in about five minutes with Russ and Caleb and the coach and myself. So stick around. All UNLV sports talk coming up right here on ESPN Las Vegas.